0: Hello everyone, my name is Joy Meads and I am the Director of Dramaturgy and New Works here at American Conservatory Theater. This podcast is to listen to after you've seen Fefu and her friends. So if you haven't seen the play yet, just hold on to this link, hold on to um, this file and come back to it right after you've seen the play. One of my favorite aspects of experiencing great works of art is talking about them with friends, with other, you know, curious and interested people and to kind of make meaning of it together. I mean, I think one of the great things about theater is that it's a meeting of something that was written in another time and place with the present, that there can be a kind of dance of the mind, That it's less about some fixed meaning, but instead about coming to the many meanings of works of art. So I am delighted to be here in conversation with Lisa Ramirez, who's a friend of mine, who is a playwright, a great artist, a performer, former student of Irene's, and who I am delighted to be able to talk about Fefu and her friends with today. Hi, Lisa. Hey, happy to be here with you. Thanks for joining me. Okay, so I think part of what we wanted to do with This second part of the podcast is to share some of how the play resonated with us. But I want to leave space for another participant in this conversation, which is you, the listener. You know, I hope that you will take this not as, like, oh, this is what the play means, but these are some lenses that Joy and Lisa are bringing on the play. And um, how does it resonate with me? Because I think that's meaningful too. Again, we're not trying to present this as this is the right answer or the correct answer, but rather this is some of how the play made meaning for us, and it's going to be informed by what we're bringing into this conversation we will have certain texts and I will say. It may feel a little bit like cheating because some of our text will be based on, you know, our knowledge of Irene or or, or different things that we're bringing in. But I want to emphasize that you are bringing in points of reference as well. You have a body of thought and knowledge um, that you're bringing in and that is valid and important and will help in the meaning that you are making from this work of art. This is a great work of art which will reveal to you what you need it to reveal if you're present with it, if you notice what it's saying, and if you notice what it's calling forth in you. So with all of that out of the way, um, let's talk about FEFU. What are some of the ways that FEFU resonates with you um, after having experienced it? And I think, you know, again, like we don't have to string together a thesis, we can just talk about what we notice and, and what it makes us think of. Just first of
1: all, what you just said, you know, that it was written in another time, about another time. And we are coming in to a theater in San Francisco in 2022 after not being able to see live theater for two years. That in itself brings like an extra excitement for me to see all these women, actors, career actors, Mm -hmm. veterans on stage, Breathing the same air, <laughs> fully vaccinated, like and, and these are these are actors like most actors who haven't worked mm-hmm. in well except on Zoom, and so just that in itself, experiencing that is incredibly moving and brought like a whole different kind of urgency to the piece because when um, I think pre pandemic. You know, maybe, maybe I would go to the theater with a more like, not critical, but, but maybe just not, maybe just taking it for granted. Like for me, Mm -hmm. for me, theater was like a long marriage. You know, I've been doing, I've been at it for 30 something years. And like, so like I go see friends' plays, they come see mine. And we're kind of like, but then we had, we've just had two years where it was taken away. Yeah. And so for me, that's very profound. And then celebrating one of our greatest playwrights who is now just, there's a resurgence um, of Irene's work. Resurgence of Irene's work now, and in a way, you know, it's bittersweet because uh, her entire career it was it was uh, built, you know, on her terms, but she never received uh, the recognition that say Sam Shepard or you know Lanford Wilson or Edward Albee or some of her John Guare you know, contemporaries yes. received yet. She, for lack of a better word, birthed Mm -hmm. a generation of playwrights.
0: And her contemporaries recognized her greatness. Like she was, she was very much admired by all of the artists that you just mentioned. And it's just, you know, a shame that, that her fame wasn't, um, didn't extend beyond those circles. And I, I think it feels like, in a way like the culture's catching up. I'm very moved too by the experience of coming together in person, being in a rehearsal room with a group of artists for the first time in a long time, The sense of, of coming together and reconnecting. Um, and I think that's very much present in the play as well. I mean, I think one of the things that's really beautiful about this play is that All of these characters are in relationship with one another in different ways. Yes. Right? It's literally
1: like watching a class reunion.
0: Absolutely. And the fact
1: that we actually haven't been on stage together in a couple Mm -hmm. of years adds to the beauty of this particular production, I think.
0: And it feels like there's a very meta theatrical aspect to what's happening. I think what's happening with these characters is that they're coming together after a period of being apart, you know, longer in the case of some people than it is in others you know and there's been changes that have happened in the meantime and i think when you reconnect you're both reminded of your shared roots with people so you know like me personally in this play i did plays with Stacey roths and catherine Castellanos in you know the early 2000s um and i did a play with jenny cato who's in this play we did high school theater together we took wow. young conservatory classes at act so we have you know a lot of shared history and there's all of these threads of of shared history. It reminds you where you come from, but also it can make you aware of what's changed in the time since you've seen these people last.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've known Catherine mm-hmm. over 30 years. Yeah. Sarita. Yes. And Marga Gomez. Marga. You know, incredible. For, for so, so long. Yeah, it's an incredible cast. I, and it resonates for me more with the older, the older Fefus, which, mm-hmm. you know, Irene said between 20 and 60. Which I love that 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 the characters in her mind could be any of those decades or ages. There's a deeper resonance for me with the older characters because I am an older actor now. Also, just the the class that comes out. Like um, I think it's is it Paula, mm-hmm. the character of Paula that oh, kind yeah. of calls them
0: on you know their the relative privilege and the, yeah, yeah I think that. That speech is incredible where she says, I think that people who have more should be better, right?
1: And and you know? then the love affair between her character and the and the heartbreak. And then the woman with the trauma, you know, I think is is it Julia? Julia? Yeah. And and there is something for me very profound about mm-hmm. older actors mm-hmm. exploring these themes. It's profound for, for me also, younger actors, but it's a different kind of yeah. Because there, you know, I've been in the last like decade to a few class reunions and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, everybody looks a little different, but we're yeah. all so like wild and we've, some of us have been knocked around a little bit in yeah. our lives. And so with this particular production, that resonates.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's, and let's talk a little bit about Julia. And I mean, I think this is something again that is very open to interpretation, but she has this injury, right? That happened. And when you talk about, the meaning of there being, you know, an actor who's our wonderful Lisa Ann Porter, who, you know, is not 20, who has a a little bit more life experience than that, right? And what it means for her to be the one who is carrying this experience. You know, Fefu has this line where she describes what Julia was like when they were young, and she says she wasn't afraid of anything, right? And I mean, one of the things that I think is really wonderful about this play is that this is a group of women who can be daring together and I think carry that daringness into other elements of their lives right like these are these are women who you know they're all at different points in the spectrum some more than others but that have what Christina calls a kind of adventurousness of the mind, right, which I love. And also in this play, um, Fornes has put in the backdrop, there are references to some historical women. There's Isadora Duncan, Volterine right. de Claire, Emma Sheridan Fry. We actually hear a whole speech about Emma Sheridan Fry. I knew of Isadora Duncan, but I hadn't heard of the other two. And they were both, I mean, I really encourage folks to to read about these women. They're iconoclastic women who lived in generations past who were very bold in their ideas, who put forward these incredible liberatory ideas in a way that didn't really fit with their society, right? And I think that there's a cost that can accumulate over time when you um, choose not to operate within the molds of society, Right. right.
1: And and for me, um, a character like Feb, who's saying that she used to be so adventurous mm-hmm. is much more profound. Uh someone saying that at 50, you know, because then that's that's like her younger 20 year old self used to be adventurous. Whereas if an actor who's 20, then you were talking about like seventh grade or something. And yeah, there is something like- very profound for, for me about these women being in midlife. Absolutely. You know, which is like grown-up adolescence yeah that's what I call grown-up adolescence and and they're still you know playing because they have such a history Mm -hmm. they're playing all these pranks on each other like like the water and the (laughs) the water fight yeah and that's what happens when you reunite with Mm -hmm. friends that you came up with yeah but I wanted to ask you about Emma Sheridan is Sheridan Square named after Emma Sheridan do you know
0: I should know. Like, let me look that I up. Sh- I, don't I know. should know
1: that, too, because Irene lived near Sheridan Square is so why I'm asking. So, yeah,
0: that would be very Irene
1: if that was the case.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what I learned about Emma Sheridan Fry is that I mean, the speech that Emma gives um, when they're rehearsing the um, this fundraiser, right, is actually word for word by Emma Sheridan Fry, And, you know, she was working in a time she's an arts educator. She taught largely, you know, impoverished kids of I- immigrants on like the Lower East Side. So, you know, um, Jewish kids and Polish kids and like all of, you know, like these kids who didn't have a lot of access, she taught them art, art education, and really insisted on the importance of that. She was working at a time where the primary model of education is really based on rote memorization. And, um, and she's insisting upon the importance of a form of education that actually allows the individual to um, be alive to their environment. And I think really not just to replicate the form of what has been done before, but to be able to invent you know, new forms, to be able to be true to themselves. To, you know, there's this beautiful um, uh, line in, in the speech that I, I think has a larger resonance in the play Emma quotes Emma Sheridan Fry saying, what are we? A creation of God's consciousness coming now slowly and painfully into recognition of ourselves. And, you know, again, Mm. like I think this goes to the conversation that you and I were having before, right? This idea of how easy it is to get into habits and to do just what has been done before and to be stuck in these ways of thinking. And that part of what art can do, part of what being alive to the senses, being in nature, being, you know, drawn out of that conscious mind, you're being drawn out of, you know, what, I don't know, Freud might call the superego, right? That it opens up new possibilities, new ways of being. We have in this play so many women that are, like, in the backdrop of this play, there's that part where they're talking about what it was like for them when they went through college, right? And all of the different ways in which they, you know, there's that line, everyone was sent to see the psychologist, right? So the psychiatrist, so that if they didn't say exactly what, what was expected of them, if they didn't act in the way that it was expected of them, that they were medicalized, that they were sent into treatment. So that one student, they, uh, a classmate of theirs who wrote a paper that the faculty thought was too good and didn't believe it, you know, she wrote, right? Well, she's she's not operating within their mode of what a female student should be. And so they send her the psych- to the psychiatrist to get her to admit that's not who she is, right? I think that's also something that's operating for Julia in this this um, hallucination that she has.
1: It's also in it for me watching it, Just and this is not like an intellectual point of yeah. view, this is just a visceral like emotional yeah. point of view. Is that I feel like they're all they all come to the table with different memories. Yes. So it's a real it's an exploration. In a way, it's an exploration of how women process memory.
0: That's true too. Absolutely. And they're all
1: kind of dancing with their own memories, for lack of a better word. They're playing, and I like I said before, you know, I think each character. You could probably break down each character, like what what uh, instrument they are. Yeah.
0: uh, Or body part,
1: but like like one is a bass. The one yes. is
0: like a, the drum, you know,
1: or whatever. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of fun also.
0: And they all have different ways of making sense of the world that they're in, the trauma of, you know, the kind of ways that they were forced into being, right? But wasn't so, it
1: Tony Kushner that said something about Irene's plays were like a fine crystal glass that are like mm-hmm. when, when you pour liquid into it, it it's in, oh no, it's it wasn't, wasn't Tony Kushner, it was Harvey, Harvey Feinstein. Yeah. Yeah, that That, that they were in danger. It's in danger. It's so delicate that it's in danger of breaking if it Mm -hmm. gets too
0: full. And also, the other thing that that brings to mind is it refracts light in different ways, right? You know, you talked in our earlier conversation, Lisa, you talked about how when you worked on The Conduct of Life, which is one of, you know, Irene's great masterworks with her later in life, that she revised the ending because it fit better on this group of people, right? I think she's somebody who really is open. To the input that's coming in, right, and doesn't want to kind of impose the one way that this thing should be done, but actually she wants to make meaning with 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 what's brought into the room.
1: Exactly,
0: Um, and I think that includes what we all bring in. You know, what emerges for all of us. Like for some of us, like the theme about education and might might come more to the fore. For some of us, the the uh, the theme about you know. Playfulness of ideas might come more to the fore, you know. Yeah, exactly. All of these different, or trauma, yeah.
1: or marriage, mm-hmm. or how important it is for women to be together and talk, yes. and fight, and and uh, and be silly. And how how often do we get? Uh, is it eight characters?
0: Eight characters. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, good. That was a good guess. Yes. <laughs> how often do we get to see eight eight fully realized women on stage?
0: Yep. Each of in them all has their, their own glory. Heart
1: absolutely in all their glory and all their like flaws in all their pettiness and all their depth like it's it's got everything
0: yeah there's I do feel like great works of art I think whenever you come back to them you see them in different ways right Mm -hmm. so I first encountered this play when I was in my early 20s I was waitressing I was trying to make up for you know I hadn't read everything when I was in school, and so, in the downtimes of my waitressing job, which wasn't using all my mind, I'd read plays. And then I'd think about them afterwards. And this was such a great play to read and think about because there was so much for my mind to chew on while I was doing my roll ups or, you know, my my side work. How the play spoke to me then is very different than how it speaks to me now. I mean, then I feel like the trauma emerged to the four more. And now, I'm seeing the resilience of those women coming forward. Julia has this speech where she talks about how she feels like death is present at any moment and and every moment there are these guardians that come forward and give us new life. And sometimes it's, you know beauty of a sunset, and sometimes it's the care mm. that that the love that we show for one another. And I really feel that in my own life at this phase, you know, like, I mean, God knows we've all lived through a lot over the last years, and I think about you know, at a time where everything seemed about the future felt like it was in question. Just having a walk with a friend, how restorative that is.
1: Yes. So Irene and I had an argument about Hedda Gobbler. And um, I had seen a production of Hedda of Gobbler with Fiona Shaw that Irene hated and I loved. <laughs> and um, she said, uh, Hedda Gobbler is agoraphobic. And she had this whole theory about Hedda to gobbler and how she never left the house and why she never left the house. And I I was like, that's not true. It like doesn't have to be that way. It never says that. Where does it say that in the script? And we went on, we argued about it. We were like two puppies arguing. And it was really, it was great. It was actually great fun. But then, you know, the more that I get to know the play, Fefu, and just seeing different productions of it and analyzing it, just because I love to analyze different plays, I really believe that Irene's view of Hedda Gobbler influenced the character of Fefu. Wow. She yeah. is an entertainer. She mm. is, you know, she brings everybody together. She pontificates, yes. but they all come to her. And there yeah. are so many great kind of writers and people that I know that just basically stay in their house and and hold court and, and Fefu, attract
0: interesting people to come to them. And yeah, absolutely. Yes. yes. And
1: um, so when I when I reread Fefu and saw Fefu recently, I was like, Yes, you could actually, you could actually, that in a way, Fefu, I, I, I would argue, is Irene's Hedda.
0: Oh, I think that's beautiful.
1: Yep. I mean, she and doesn't shoot herself trend. or like she doesn't, but 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 just the, the launching point. Yeah. I think is very, because Hedda Gobbler is very witty, very funny, very troubled, uh, <laughs> and kind of orchestrates You know these uh, scenarios with with friends and and intimidates people.
0: I hadn't thought about that at all because that's you know not a point of reference that I was bringing in. But when you say it, that makes so much sense because of course like there's also the image of that rifle that's in both plays. Exactly. The thing that I think is interesting too is so Fafu does not shoot herself, but there is violence in the end of this play, and I think violence that's very open to this to interpretation and you know that. I feel differently about now than I felt when I first read it. And I'm sure when I come back to it in 20 more years, I'll feel differently about it again. But Christina, actually, she has a line in the play where she says, I feel danger lurking, right? And it's kind of said in this playful way, but there is danger lurking in this play. I think this is a play that takes invisible injury very, very seriously, right? And I think all of these characters have to deal with psychic trauma in different ways it's most present in julia but julia fears that she's contagious and that will catch to other people right so julia has this she has this um, ailment that she says like she says she's wanted to go into a hospital but the doctors won't let her in because they won't they can't diagnose her right Mm. and i was speaking with brian herrera who's this brilliant forness scholar and he he talked about what it made him think of, which is that post COVID, you know, there's this long COVID syndrome that has created a lot of discussion about like um, autoimmune disorders. Right. And which is another area in which women have, they're disproportionately experienced by women and women aren't taken seriously, you know? And I I think there's a lot a big body of research and who is listened to when they go into the doctor and who is not. There's a mystery in this play in Julia's condition because it is physical. She cannot walk, right? But there seems to be an emotional or a spiritual component to it as well. There's this great book called The Body Keeps the Score, right? Which talks about the way in which there are some forms of trauma that are too painful for us to admit to our conscious minds, right? That we cannot we can't admit what happened to us in certain ways because it will make us to feel powerless. It'll make us feel afraid. But our body knows. Our body remembers those things. We hold that knowledge in, in different ways. And it comes out. I mean, he first experienced this working with Vietnam veterans, the author of this book. But I think, you know, um, again, there's danger in the world of this play that each of the Women experiences in different ways and copes with in different ways. You know, there's this confrontation between Julia and Fefu at the end. And again, I think that's going to mean different people to different things to different people at different moments. But for me, I think what Fefu decides is like she's unable to really accept or acknowledge what's happening with Julia because she knows. Is this fear of it being contagious that some of the same things could be happening with her, right? That she, what's happening with her husband, this pain that she feels that she that there is a that there is a discomfort for her in living the way that she does, not fitting perhaps into the rules of society, you know, the expectations of what of how a woman should behave, right? And I think she makes a choice at the end. The way I understand that moment is like, I'm not gonna be the prey, I'm gonna be the hunter. So she, she decides she's not going to be injured. She's going to pick up that gun, go outside. She's going to fire it and maybe she'll kill a thing.
1: Yeah, it's really a survival of the fittest moment.
0: Yeah, for her. And I don't mm-hmm. know that that's the best decision for her to make, but it is her way of dealing with it in that moment.
1: And I feel like with Fefu, Fefu is like dancing as fast as she can. She's trying to keep the ball in the air because if, if Fefu actually stops and has to confront her yeah. unhappy marriage... Mm-hmm. or her privilege or mm-hmm. her whatever she may go the way of julia like so yeah. she's fight 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 fight
0: julius talks about how oh she she keeps that smile on right that like as a way of adapting that she's dissociated that she can't be in touch with herself i think that's mm-hmm. part of it i mean you look yeah. at you look at marriages that have turned
1: into cages like i mean yeah. that's like the, yeah. the story in the Mm-hmm. There's a lot of gilded cages and yeah. they have to smile, but if you look really close, yeah, the smile
0: is like a scream. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, what would like, it mean if they acknowledge to themselves what's actually yeah. happening? And at the yeah. same time, like
1: they can be great entertainers
0: Absolutely. for short periods of time. There's that speech that Christina has in this the study where she says, you know, that she feels that women like Fefu are dangerous. And she says, not to society. I think they're more valuable to society than me. But they're, but they're actually dangerous to me. There's that great speech that Christina has. She talks about this in the study. She says that she feels like women like um, FEFU are dangerous. I also feel they're dangerous to me. I don't think they're dangerous to the world. They're more useful than I am, more important. But I feel that some of my life is endangered by their way of thinking christina says i guess i'm proud and don't like thinking that i am thoughtful of things that have no value which i think is a really remarkable it's really profound self-insight right
1: well yeah fefu is like she would be on like your board or you know the board at the opera but uh maybe not want to contribute to like the same cause that Paula was talking about, the immigrant children, and and yeah. the thing—it's so odd that it's said in the 30s, but it so still resonates today. Like, feels when I think feels very the,
0: present tense. Yeah, you know, the immigrant
1: children from Latin America, from Central America, yeah. Ukraine now,
0: and I think one part of what I think is so remarkable about what Christina says, you know, I guess I'm proud, and I don't like thinking that I'm thoughtful of things that have no value. And I think about in my own life coming into consciousness of. I remember having a moment. So when this whole Me Too movement was happening and everybody was like, Me Too, Me Too, right? Like, and I was like, oh, I've actually never had a moment of sexual abuse or violation. That hasn't happened to me. But then I remembered later, oh, actually, no. New Year's Eve or New Year's, the millennium, I was standing outside in the street celebrating with friends and this random like 55 year old man I'd never met stuck his like wet slug of a tongue in my mouth and um, I could still viscerally remember the feel of that and it was not welcome and I did not want it and you know and it was I felt like it actually violated a boundary right and Mm -hmm. um and I can remember that and I like but I had normalized that to myself I had not thought of it as like a violation because because I think what does it mean if you again, I think I've spent a lot of my life, you know, making things okay that actually don't feel good. Because what happens if you don't do that? Do you have to think of yourself of a, as of a victim? Do you have to acknowledge the ways that you're vulnerable? You know, like, do you have to demand a kind of change that may not be possible? And therefore, do you, does it make you feel powerless in a way that's scary? You know, that's one of the things that resonated for me about what she
1: says. Yes, yeah, it's very profound. And you know, is sort of like a sleeper character. Fefu is Fefu and you know the play is called Fefu and her friends, with... but e- each character has their their moment of absolute crystalline like yes. truth. You know, Christina is like the observer. Mm-hmm. You know, Fefu is more like the performer. Yeah. Uh, and then they then they, you know, as the play goes on, they all take on different different aspects. Yeah, they all Just... have
0: arcs and you know exactly they grow. they're like even. Even as she's giving us the variety of these characters, like different characters, she's also giving us variety within the character, which feels very true to humanity. Exactly.
1: Right? Yeah, they all have their little. They all have. They're all flawed. Yeah. They all have these incredibly kind of opposing points of views, and and they all have, they they actually all have great humor. Which Irene was one of the funniest people ever. She is. Know? She's hilarious, right? You could, and and she's so beautifully captured in that film. The rest I make up. Yeah, by I Michelle Merriman.
0: really, really, really Memorand. advise that Memorand, yeah, um, <laughs> that people watch that movie. It's a beautiful movie. Humor is another way of allowing us to admit to ourselves things that feel scary. Right? Yeah, Absolutely. as a playwright.
1: I mean, I use that. I use that line every single every play that I write. It's the great line by Harold Klerman, which I'm paraphrasing, but it's um, the truth is like castor oil mm-hmm. difficult to swallow. It's good for you, but difficult to swallow. So what you have to do is make people laugh. And when their mouths are open, pour the truth in. Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't it amazing? amazing. So that's, I have that hanging over my writing
0: area, but I think that's what Irene does with this play. It's so entertaining. It's so engaging. Um, If you can just go over, give yourself over to the experience of it. I think, you know, you'll find yourself in really good hands. So, as we're, as we're going out, I wonder, why don't we talk about one thing, like the last time that we experienced this play, one thing that kind of stayed with us that we don't entirely feel like we know why it stayed with us, but that, but that is still put some imaginative tentacles into our brains, and there's something that, that we're working on that has to do with that moment
1: definitely the monologue in the room with Julia. I feel like that is a haunting moment in the play and it's, it's extremely vulnerable. And I believe that it is the underbelly of the play in a way. I feel like it's the moment where Irene lifts the rock and, and, you know, that, that line that Fefu has that lift the rock and you see the worms underneath. And so I do feel like like that is a very haunting moment yeah. in the play that, that stays with me, almost like seeing a really sad, sad movie. And like, for me as a audience member, it stuck with me in my belly in terms of, it's like the sub- yeah. like it's the subconscious terrain, the underbelly,
0: for yeah. lack of a better word. I couldn't agree more. Like it stays with me too. And different things emerge to me at different times. You know, like that line about the stinking parts of the body are the important parts. And, you know, the judge is saying to Julia that she needs to put those parts away. It made me think about, actually, I just read a thing from a, a screenwriter who was talking about being on a panel at a moment where there, it was uh, 10 years ago or so, but there were like a couple of women-driven series on the air, like I think, you know, Whitney and Two Broke Girls, and there were a few vagina jokes, right? But like, after, you know, decades and decades of all of these dick jokes, right? And, mm-hmm. and this screenwriter was saying that he was on this panel and all these other screenwriters that he was on the panel with, these male screenwriters really were like, okay, I feel like enough with the vagina jokes, we get it, right? And he was just thinking about like, okay, these are just two, two <laughs> shows after, you know, all of these decades of the other way around. And it just shows the, like, the real imbalance in our culture. So I think that's really interesting. And then another thing that comes to me is like that line, "Oh dear, oh dear, they won't—they're coming for your light, your precious light." Oh dear, that evokes like this wave of emotion in my body, you mm. know, um, that I don't even know if I am completely aware of all of that's rooted in. But it, I I find that to be very profound. Yeah, and the
1: way that um, one of the other characters leaves the food. Yes. Or a tray for her. Sue and, uh, Leap
0: brings soup. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that that deep caring. And in a way, like that monologue, seeing it now after Irene's passed. It's kind of like, you know, we wonder where she was, you know, for those last few years in her mind yeah. because she lost her memory and she had Alzheimer's. Yeah. We did go, we did read her her play, and she wiggled her feet in glee. A bunch of us visited her in New York and read it to her, and she started shaking her feet like like a a kid wow. on uh, their birthday or something. But and the at other the thing, time where
0: she was like largely on like she had a hard time being responsive.
1: Yeah, so, so she was not responsive, and we we brought mute like Cuban music in, and then and then I I gathered a group of playwrights and actors uh, who knew her and loved her, and we read her Fefu. And the minute we read Fefu, the minute with the opening. The opening lines you know about the shooting the husband or she just started wig wag, wagging her feet wow. it was just so and morgan was there and Corey Corey thomas was there christina poe myself profound. paola lazaro and dale souls who had worked with mm-hmm. her many years and morgan jeunesse who's like the goddess you know and uh, anyway the other moment in the play we we digress but irene would enjoy that we digress yes she would the other moment is just the cacophony of voices from the other rooms and just knowing that there is something else happening in another room it felt very much like uh that that stuck with me and haunted me and i've only actually seen that one other time at an under the radar festival with this uh company from Brazil. Yeah, I just love cacophony. And I I think I honestly think that if I had been exposed to music, I probably would have been a musician. So (laughs) like, uh, you know, Irene's writing is very rhythmic, I'll say rather than musical, but
0: absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so like, the the thing that you become aware of, when you hear a little, like a little echo of audience laughter from another room, a little echo of like that there are other audience members who are having a very different experience of the play than you are because they're seeing those middle scenes in different orders. And it feels so, I mean, it just feels very truthful, like that she, again, is always holding like ambiguity and multiplicity and the way in which our lives are very hard to fix down. And, you know, Cecilia has a, has a speech that's about this she says like the goal of the educator is to help us to be sensitive to the differences outside of us and the differences within that idea of being alert to other ways of seeing and the
1: um, cacophony is very much like life you know yes absolutely like I, I remember one of the exercises was to sit sit outside and just write like write down what people people passing Dialogue of people passing. Like I, I once like wrote a monologue based on that, just like sitting in Union Square in New York, hearing people argue, hearing people like just say, "Meet me in five minutes," or like, and you can create. But that that moment in the play where you hear other people, and especially when you've seen the scene before and you hear the hear Paula arguing with who's in the kitchen, Paula and her uh, ex-lover Cecilia Paula, yeah, and, Paul, Cecilia. Paula yeah. and Cecilia when they have like that one moment and you hear it you've already seen it mm-hmm. like just all those different moments yes. and, and it's 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 quite it's quite beautiful
0: so I think the thing that stays with me that I haven't completely unpacked is Cindy's dream you know it's in the study the a scene between Cindy and Christina and I think I find the images very haunting I mean again I think the sense of there's danger lurking. I think that this is a play that acknowledges that danger can be psychological; that it can be, you know, unacknowledged, right? That there's forms of violence and harm that are done that we're not allowed to admit, maybe, you know. And um, I think the thing, like that, there's this doctor that's spoken to Cindy's husband, or or to Cindy's partner. We actually don't know if he's a husband or a, that they've been separated. But this man, Mike, who we know they've been romantically involved and. In. Are somewhat strange about her, that his mouth moved like the mouth of a horse, and he starts yelling at her, and she says, "Listen to me. And she thinks that I wanted to say, Respect me, right? I find that that imagery very resonant and profound, and I, I feel like I haven't completely unpacked, but i I, I find the dream very scary, actually. <laughs> so it's very scary. Yeah. also the world was very scary
1: at that at that time you know like you know 1935 you know absolutely there was great danger in the world
0: yeah and i feel like now i feel danger lurking right like that that idea of this kind of incipient fascism right that 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 feels like it is very much bubbling up now as it was bubbling up in the thirties. And I might say was bubbling up in the late seventies when this play was written, you know, with oh Vietnam. Yeah. With Vietnam. And I think mm-hmm. also the uh, you know, the rising to Reaganism and a, and a kind yeah, of it was pre, yeah, exactly. cracking down like, but you know, he's very much ascendant in that moment. Right. So cra- like a, a kind of reaction and resistance to all of this celebration of difference that's happening
1: thank you for bringing it to san francisco
0: well and thank you for talking about it with me and audience members thank you for coming and again this is part of what we're thinking bringing in the kind of text that we know we we've both had the advantage of being able to marinate in this for a little bit but i really want to hear what this play brings forth for you and what emerges for you and what you think is meaningful and I hope that we can find each other in the lobby and you know come to the meet the post show q a's and you know let's let's talk let's keep talking and it's a great opportunity
1: to reframe how we look at plays also impressions rather than I think looking like I love that about you joy is that you explore plays through impressions and what, what resonated for you and where you asked question or where you had questions, rather than like the narrow kind of quick, was it good or bad? No, there's always something to explore in every piece of work. And Absolutely. I really appreciate that about you.
0: I appreciate you, Lisa Ramirez. It's been <laughs> such a pleasure. Thanks for talking with me about the play. And audience, thanks for seeing it. I hope you'll talk about it with each other and with us. Come find all of us AC tiers and tell us what you think. Find other audience members and tell them what you think. Let's keep yeah. talking. All right. Thanks so much. Take care.